Hey everyone, I just want to say that my novel, A Breaking Report, is finally available on Amazon. That's A Breaking Report, R-A-P-P-O-R-T. And now with the added bonus of being completely free if you've signed up to the Kindle Unlimited program. Now, if you prefer the touch of paper, then I have a hardcover and a paperback edition for those living abroad. But unfortunately, only the paperback edition for Australians due to the anti-Australian discrimination. Thanks, Amazon. Regardless, I just want to say thank you for your support as this novel has taken five years to finally complete and it has been a labor of love through every step of the way. All right, now on to the podcast. Three, two, one, let's jam. North Korea is a country that everyone has an opinion on, but no one has any experience of. Throughout my entire life, this rogue state has been painted with the worst possible portrayals, linked with human rights violation, poverty, a closed-off political system that no foreigner can seem to understand, and perhaps most damaging, a loose trigger finger with nuclear weapons. So just imagine my surprise when I found a Westerner who hasn't just entered North Korea, She's done it multiple times and now works for a travel agency in North Korea. This means I finally have access to a place that previously seemed impenetrable. Does North Korea only allow a certain number of haircuts? Are blue jeans really banned? And what are the poverty levels like? I've also been told by South Koreans that Koreans that can speak English would be kidnapped and then forced to teach English in North Korea. So many questions, so little time. After listening to this podcast, I realized that some people might feel that I didn't talk about the political situation enough and that I was too lenient with Zoe by not pushing her harder to discuss the actions of the North Korean government. And while I think these criticisms are fair, when I first contacted Zoe, she stated that she generally tries to avoid the most politically sensitive parts of the country. This is probably because of her employment, but also because she doesn't have an interest in these fields. And while I didn't push these topics, I don't think I shied away from it either. I do ask questions about the DMZ, how North Korea sees the South, and what are some things that you can and can't do or say in the country. Ultimately, I think Zoe's goal is to humanize the citizens of North Korea, not as political pawns in a geopolitical struggle with Western democratic and capitalist countries, but people just like us. I hope you enjoy this podcast. A lot of my preconceptions about North Korea were broken and some of my older expectations were reinforced. But how often do you get a chance to pee behind the curtain? Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Safety Last. And uh, today we have a very special, very, uh, I guess you could use the word strange, like it's unexpected, I would say, uh, guest uh, joining us today. And I'll briefly jump into that in, in a moment. But yeah, Zoe, would you like to just introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, sure. I mean, my name is Zoe. Um, I am a British living in Taiwan at the moment doing my PhD. And I guess, um, I mean, 
you might be most interested to know, I mean, your listeners, <laughs> why I'm here today is probably um, most interesting, uh, my previous job and also what I hope to keep doing um, once the borders open from COVID-19 is um, I was a tour guide in, in North Korea. Um, so that means mm. I was in and out of North Korea a lot. And um, since the borders have been closed, I've been keeping all of that up on social media. So um, yeah, I've been making videos and stuff on, on North Korea. Mm. And I'll just to let the audience know how I actually stumbled up across your channel. Uh, have you actually watched the film JSA by any chance? I have, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. To the yeah. audience, if you have not watched the film, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, it's by the. It's a very, very famous Korean film. It's yeah. also by the same director who did The Handmaiden in 2016. If you've ever watched that, Zoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have actually. <laughs> okay. Well, film. yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's amazing. I love both films. Uh, JSA, uh, Joint Security Area. Basically, if I can talk about the film for five seconds without giving away the plot, North Korean and South Korean soldiers befriended each other. And then, I guess, things happen uh, after that, uh, to say the very least. But I watched the film and I was just so intrigued. And often when I finish watching a film and I'm really uh, a fan of it, I'll go on YouTube and I'll find like other resources to read up on articles or just information about it. And when I typed in JSA, and another reason I did this was because I was going to go to Korea uh, and I planned to visit the, the DMZ as well. So I guess that a DMZ by anyone, uh, just in case you don't know, is the, the line between North and South Korea. Uh, I guess it's called the Demilitarized Zone. And yeah, and after typing in JSA and just looking at trailers and other information and stuff like that, I stumbled across your channel, Zoe. And the thing that caught my eye was there was you, you, you in the profile photo uh, of one of the thumbnails. And, you know, I think I'm pretty sure you're blonde. And next to you, you were standing like a North Korean soldier or something. And I'd never seen that combination in my life. Like, and I was, my immediate reaction was like, is this like a Photoshop? Like, I'm actually not <laughs> sure this is true. Mm. Uh, so immediately when I saw that and I, the title was like uh, something to the extent of like, you know, traveling around North Korea or you know British tour guide in North Korea or something to that extent I was like no way so I clicked it and I actually watched a few videos and um after that I I guess I reached out to you <laughs> yeah it, it, it's funny because like that picture I think is so I mean it's so iconic um and like I it's funny when you're creating content and stuff you don't know what is going to be picked up by the majority of the audience a lot of the time um and so you know i'd made quite a few videos before this and they got like um you know a few thousand views and stuff and you know the image that you're talking from is basically a screenshot of um me doing an interview with one of the military guards at the dmz and with like one of the military soldiers like he takes people around as well and it's one of the few places that you can take a picture of and it that picture is just a screen grab of me like doing an interview with him we're just laughing and stuff like that um and I didn't even think much of that when I was going through the footage and editing the video I then made a video that's like you know is it really that scary to visit the DMZ um and I decided to make it the thumbnail but it, it wasn't gonna be my first choice and I think like that but that image, like it really made that video take off because like you said, mm -hmm. like it's not something that a lot of people had seen before. And um, I genuinely think like without that thumbnail image, I really don't think that anything would have got that big because that video ended up getting like, I mean, it's on like one and a half million views now. Like it's nothing compared 
like my other videos are nothing compared to it so I think um yeah just everyone's used to seeing like someone commented actually that it's the first time they ever saw a North Korean soldier smile or a North Korean smile you know and that mm -hmm. left such a big mm -hmm. impact on me like you know the first time you see a North Korean smile it's not the first time they've ever smiled you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh I actually did end up going to the DMZ and there's this place that you can go in from South Korea where you can look through telescopes and you can look into the North Korean side and basically uh, I guess this might be a theme because we don't hear anything about North Korea like we were just looking at farmers and we're like wow yeah <laughs> like because we just it's like as as the nickname suggests it's the hermit kingdom it's basically so isolated uh culturally uh, maybe not physically but regardless like we hear very little news from that from that place and yeah, I, I think maybe to your point, like even mundane things gets transformed into something like bizarre and strange because it has that North Korean label. Um, but just to go over, I guess, some of your history, uh, let me know if this is correct. And uh, maybe we can find out why exactly you started, I guess, doing these guides in North Korea, a place which, you know, when we think of like K-pop and stuff, like mm -hmm. and that's really dangerous to like South Korea. Like you don't usually hear many people been drawn to the north but basically from what i've gathered you uh did a exchange in japan and from what i heard you said you introduced yourself as like uh, english or british and then a lot of people said like oh it's so dangerous in in england or it's so dangerous in britain and uh, because of that you were very shocked that as someone who came from that area you were so taken aback that this is what people thought and then your reaction to that was this must be the media and then that transformed into well what's somewhere very uh scary that i can go and actually have a look for myself and then that eventually led to homestay in korea and then i think i'm not sure if the tourism came first or if the homestay came first but then you ended up working for the uh, north korean tourism sector so or a company in the north korean tourism so is that correct? And uh, yeah, would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, pretty much correct. Although I don't know where you got homestay from. That's a fun one. <laughs> that, what, what, wasn't it a homestay? <laughs> no. So, but basically, like, it is pretty much correct. But um, in in so in Japan, just to give um, you and also listeners a bit of context, it, I was in Japan during the time of um, we had like a refugee crisis in the UK, and also like. Um, loads of um, we had a few terrorist attacks in um, Manchester and London and I think and that was why people were saying that the UK is dangerous um, so it is was is that the Ariande uh, sorry Ariande Ariande Grande that's it was it the concert is that what you're referring to By it wasn't actually um, Ariana Grande was a couple of years after um, mm -hmm. this these terrorist attacks um, were I think during 2016 yeah um so you know the the uk was on high terror alert so as seen from the outside perspective when you read the travel advice should i go there or not it does look scary but i had just come from the uk the only thing that was kind of scary about it was one time i saw our police with guns and like in the uk that's terrifying when you see your own police with guns because mm -hmm. we don't use guns like the, the police don't have guns mm -hmm. like massive guns right um, so I remember that being the only thing that like put me off ease a little bit. But mm. um, yeah, so that was the context behind why Japanese people were saying that the UK was too dangerous. Um, 
And then uh, I finished my degree because um, I did an exchange in Japan, went back, finished my degree and then started a job straight away in North Korea tourism um, for a different company, Young Pioneer Tours. And then about six months later, I changed companies to the company that I'm with today, Koryo Tours. Mm-hmm. So when you first told your parents about this situation about your desire to actually go to the hermit kingdom mm-hmm. um i was told in or actually you said in one of the podcasts that your mom was super upset um but i don't think you actually elaborated on how your dad reacted so like how did your dad reacted and what do they think now that not only have you gone back you know a few times but you're actually working in the north korean sector like what is their reaction to this news so um yeah my mom was super upset um and it just got to the point where like we just it became like an unspoken topic because I am the kind of person I mean I'm an awful daughter you know I'm the kind of person that like <laughs> is like even if even if you don't even if you tell me that I can't do something I'm still going to do mm-hmm. it anyway and and my parents both know that um but you know this time my mom was really like you know please don't go but um what happened was is I asked her like I could understand her feeling I could understand why she's worried so I asked her like okay how about you know I'd done my research I was like how about you just google this for 10 minutes you know just look into North Korea tourism it's a thing like just look it up um and she refused to even write this name into google she was like I don't even want to write those words down um so I was like because she didn't want Google to have like a search history is that yeah. what she was afraid of yeah I think okay. I guess she was worried to like write those words down and I was like well I can't listen to your opinion then if you're not going to like do any research into it I'm sorry this time like I can't listen to you um and my dad I probably didn't even run it past him to be honest I probably was it I can't remember but it, I wouldn't put it past me if like I'd have been in North Korea and then come out and been like hey dad just got out of North Korea what's up um <laughs> but he's he's pretty cool he's supportive I, they're both supportive um but my dad um you know finds it super cool what I do and to the point that he was booked onto a tour we were gonna have like mm. um do like he was gonna come on a group tour and then we were gonna do a bit of a private trip um in April 2020 but then of course uh, COVID happened so we had to postpone that Mm-hmm. And how how does your mom react now? Has she expressed any interest in going no, to the North Korea? Not at all. She's not a big traveler, and I think like she because when I was living in Beijing, it was um I would go in and out of um North Korea on average about once a month, and she would never know when. Wow. Yeah, I mean sometimes some months it was like two or three times a month, like during summer, very busy. Other months I wouldn't go for like one or two months, right? So on average, I would say once a month. Um, and she would never know when I'm there and when I'm not. So, you know, mm. we it's just like a topic that we don't talk about now. <laughs> Can I ask what drew you to North Korea so much? So you said you jump in and out um, sometimes once or twice a month when you're living in Beijing. There are a lot of countries which are pretty close as well. Like you can go to Mongolia, you can go to, I guess, Russia, you can go to South Korea. Like what about North Korea drew you? Because it seems like you have a... I guess a, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, affiliation, like I guess just a, maybe that's the wrong word, but like you seem to enjoy it and you seem to like really enjoy this position of work in the North Korean um, tourism industry. Yeah, I think there's a few aspects to it. So firstly, the North Koreans are great. You know, I, I love North, I, you know, when I say North Koreans, I mean Korean. Like I, I love the Korean culture. I love the Korean language. I love the Korean people. Um 
I'm not, I was never drawn to North Korea. Um, and I don't think I am in many aspects that other people would be. You know, many people go to North Korea because they're interested in um, either the politics or they're interested in the secrecy of it, um, or they are um, interested in, I, I don't know, you know, people seem to be very interested in the country, right, in many different aspects. But for me, I think the main reason that draws me to it and makes me want to keep going back is the fact that it's it's so normal and so you know there are people there there are humans there for me it's all about showing people that North Korea is this you know it's not that what everyone else thinks and I think that is what keeps drawing me back the normality of it the fact that you know I have friends in North Korea you know I would call them my friends my colleagues the food is great and I think most people go in with such preconceptions and to see those preconceptions and to see those um you know prejudices against North Korea and stuff like that that you have to see those being completely shattered even just within the first couple of minutes it's just for me that's really special and I really like you know, I like to see that. And also I like to be able to show people and to help people um, kind of see what I see in North Korea. Because my job is not, I'm not a tour guide in the sense of, I'm like, okay, you know, this building was built in 19 blah, blah, blah. I'm not that kind of tour guide. It's more of a, I leave that to the North Koreans because they are professional. They've studied and they know they're the local people, right? My job is more of a bridging gap between these two cultures. And I just love being that bridge where, you know, sometimes there's misunderstanding or lack of understanding from one side and the other side. And I, I like to help bridge that. Um, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. So I think it's less of a, a real love for North Korea and more of a, a passion for this area of work. Okay, so does that mean, for example, if Mongolia was seen as public enemy number one, you would be passionate in exposing, like, I guess, a different side to Mongolia as well? Potentially, if if I found that it was there, yeah. Like, mm. I would be really interested in, you know, doing... I, I mean, I am really interested in going to really different places and different countries, and I continue to try and challenge my preconceptions on these countries, um, and I, I would love to do it in different places too, I suppose. Yeah. So can I touch back on something you said before you said that you leave the X's and O's of like this building was built in, et cetera, to North Koreans. And you said that you're more of a bridge. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean like you're a translator for English or you're a translator for Korean? Uh, or does that mean you just tag on to a tour and then once I don't know, I guess a Westerner or foreigner has a question, you jump in and answer. Like, what does that mean being a bridge between the two cultures? It can have various meanings. So firstly, I'm not a translator um, because the guides can speak amazing English. Um, and we also have tours that are, you know, if you go, if you have a group of people and you are all French or Spanish or Russian, then you can request that you have a Russian speaking guide, a French speaking guide within the North Korean company there is about, I don't know how many languages they speak, but there is a lot of people that speak Chinese, a lot that speak English, Russian, you know, all of these many European languages, some really random languages as well, um, also Polish. So um, there's no language barrier there. It's more of a cultural barrier. And I think one of the main examples that I can give, which I recently put in, um, in a bit of an Instagram post in a story form, is how 
when you go to North Korea, you are always on a bus and whether, you know, it's a big like tour bus, right? You've maybe got like 20 people on there. It's a big tour bus. Um, and in the winter, it's heated. In the summer, it's cool, right? North Korea has very extreme summers and winters. It gets very hot, very cold. And yet, despite this, I mean, the, the springs and the autumns are quite nice. Um, and despite the, f from, and the, um, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that when you go abroad and when you travel, you like to walk to places, right? Like, it's nice to be able to explore, use your own two feet, just like walk down some random streets, have a feel for the culture. And that's what everyone's like when they go to North Korea, right? They're like, oh, you know, do we have to go into the bus? Can't we walk to the next stop? And I'm like, well, yeah, we could. But, you know, we have to think about time constraints. Um, we have to think about stuff like this. The North Koreans, they don't understand this at all because in their eyes, they're providing this incredible bus um, that's, you know, luxury and it's got heating or it's got air conditioning. And they're like, why would you want to walk when we have provided this for you? But um, so, you know, sometimes it can create a bit of conflict and stuff like that or like, yeah. And so I remember one of my um, good colleagues there, North Korean colleague, she went to Vietnam for the first time. Um, and she went there on a work trip, but also had like some leisure time. And, you know, I, I arrived in North Korea and she pulled me over and she was like, Zoe, I finally realized why people want to walk everywhere. You know, like she got the same feeling when she was in Vietnam. She realized, oh, OK, you can really get a feel for that place, get a feel for that culture when you, you know, have a walk around. And she finally understood that. And I think that's just one example of how two cultures can completely clash, you know, like sometimes, um, uh, a, a foreigner can do something that's incredibly, you know, sensitive or incredibly um, seen as as not a good thing to the North Koreans, but the you know a foreigner could just think nothing of it, and vice versa as well. And so I think um, it's just two vastly different cultures. Sometimes they can clash. Mm. And uh, I, I guess touching on a quote that you said somewhere or you wrote somewhere, which I thought was actually quite. Uh, interesting you said that like north korea is a place that a lot of people have opinions about but very few people have actually gone which is part of the reason i, I wanted to get you on because uh i get i guess a lot of exposure to south korean culture and i guess east asian culture in general like the media and stuff like that and because of that implicit in that are certain depictions certain expectations about north korea so um can i ask what are people's reactions when you say hey i'm zoe and you're at a bar or something and then i work for a north korean tourism like do they ever accuse you of like lying like what what is the i can't imagine saying that as an icebreaker <laughs> yeah it's a good point and so i never do say it as an icebreaker actually i'm pretty private about the fact that i do that um especially with like obviously i'm not private in social media and in the in the realms of the internet but if I'm meeting people, it's not actually a party trick that I use to get <laughs> friends, you know, <laughs> like um, usually uh, I will say that I'm a tour guide or a tour guide in Korea or I live in China and I'm a tour guide. If people want to keep knowing and if there's no way that I can like avoid the question politely, then of course, you know, I do say actually, you know, it's a bit different because I do take people into North Korea. Um, and I think their reactions are usually like quite confused like oh 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 like you can see their brains working like well uh, oh okay you know it goes through so many levels um 
and I think most people are just quite interested. Um, I do get most of the stuff that I get online you know, I really think it helps when you get to know someone as a person because online I get accused of like being a spy and, you know, being a communist and like just get accused of like being this awful, awful person. But no one has ever, ever said, maybe they're just too shy to, but no one's ever said anything nasty to my face. Um, and I think, I think part of that is, you know, it's easier to say bad things online um, or easier to say your, your true feelings online. But generally, like, I think it helps a lot when you get to know me because you do get to know that I am just a normal person and my reasons for doing this, you know, not everyone might understand. Um, but at the end of the day, it is, you know, it's important to, like you you mentioned, it's important to get to know a country if you want to at least have, a, have an opinion on it. Mm. Um, and so I think most people, you'd be surprised how uninterested they are in it, actually. You know, it's it doesn't become the topic of conversation for the evening. It's just like, oh, okay, you work in North Korea. Let's chat about that. Okay, next qu- next topic, you know. Wow, so that's completely unexpected. Um, I, I thought, I would have thought, like, that would be, like, the party trick to pull. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just so attention-grabbing. But uh, so... Man, and to the audience, I will ask Zoe about like her experiences in North Korea. Like, you know, trust me, we're about to get to that. But can I ask, how did you get this position? Did you apply for it? Did they, did they see that? Oh, you've got English skills and you have some interest in the Korean culture. Did the company approach you? Like, how did you get offered this position? So I first worked for the first for the company that I went with originally when I went to North Korea, um, and that's YPT. Um, and basically, I went with them when I was living in Japan on the exchange. And I like genuinely, you know, they they did a really good job tour guiding, and the tour guide was really good. And I, I remember looking to him and being like, mm, I think I could do that. But at the at the time, you know, it was just in the back of my head, and I think. I do possess a lot of qualities that make me a good tour guide in general. You know, I think, um, you know, I'm friendly, I'm outgoing, but I'm also responsible and and stuff like that. So I remember, you know, thinking, hey, that's, you know, maybe something that I could do after graduation, but didn't think much of it. And then in around April time, just before I was about to graduate, I remember seeing an advert on Facebook for a job uh, with the company. And so basically I applied for it. They remembered me as a tourist, um, and got it from there, had a couple of interviews and that was it. Wow. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, I guess I've got so many questions about North Korea and I just want to, you know, throw a few at you. Uh, some of the stuff that I've heard is like, maybe they're preconceptions, maybe they're true, but as someone who's actually entered the country, I'm very, very curious to see, um, you know, whether these, uh, I'm not sure what you call them, uh, expectations are true or or if they're false. Um, and something I remember my South Korean friend saying, uh, who lives in Sydney, um, she said that she, I think her family actually came from North Korea and then they migrated to the South during the Civil War. But basically she said something to the extent of like, if I go to North Korea because I am proficient in English, or she's proficient in English, I should say, she said there's a chance that I may be kidnapped because I am, I guess, Korean and I am proficient in English. And then she said there is a chance, um, she'd never specified if it's 100% or 1%, but that I would be enlisted to teach English. So that was, I guess, one of the few times I ever hear about North Korea. 
What do you think about that? Do you think that's exaggerated or do you think there are, there is something like that in the country? Uh, I think that's very exaggerated. So what, like, if you went on a tour to North Korea, you might get kidnapped is basically what. Yes. Okay. Yes. But the thing is... I, because I of your the, Korean heritage. Or... Yeah. Like, if, I, if maybe I went or if, like, you went or someone else went... Um, I'm not really sure. I guess I'm just assuming because she's not next to me and she can't really answer. But because this expectation or this understanding that Korea is united, it's just politically separated. She is like, I guess, a citizen. I'm not sure if I'm giving her words justice. But yeah, what is your reaction to that? Um, it's funny. <laughs> I've never heard. Uh, I mean, it's you know these things um, are quite exaggerated and um, and they do make me laugh. And I shouldn't laugh. Um, but it's you know. Sorry to break it to you, but you're not that important to the North Korean regime that they're going to kidnap you. So, <laughs> you know, your English skills are great. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're really not that important to the North Korean regime that they would kidnap you. There is there is so much, um, there's so much at stake. Imagine if they did that. Like, it's just not, it would be like massive news. You know, you're an Australian citizen, right? Uh, yeah, and my friend is as well. Okay, so you're Australian citizens. So like, um, you know, imagine the beef between North Korea and Australia, like, and all just over, I'm sorry to like, put you down here, but like, just over some random guy that maybe is going to teach English there. Um, they have, uh, they, to be fair, they have a history of kidnapping, right? Um, and I think one of the most famous ones is um, in, uh, have you heard of the film Pulgasari? No. Okay, that's fine. It's a North Korean film and it's um, like the Godzilla um, of North Korea. It's a, such an out-of-this-world film. Would really recommend you give it a go. But um, it's it's um, quite it's quite the film. It's very interesting. Um, anyway, uh, the director for that... Um, I, I don't want to go over the story here also because I might like get some things wrong. But basically, um, there was, um, there's been a history of um, South Korean directors um, being kidnapped and taken to North Korea and they helped to direct that film that's a whole big different story so you know that has happened in the past um but that that was like they were like the most famous movie director in South Korea um and that was like years ago as well and I don't want to say you know times have changed but like they definitely have and I I just can't imagine North Korea kidnapping someone now and being like oh yeah no we just need them for a bit to like make a film or something I just can't imagine it happening now um mm. and so yeah I think and also you know I have taken a lot of South Koreans to North Korea before and when I say South Koreans I mean people of South Korean heritage or even South Koreans who um you know have um been um, who have a different passport now. So they grew up in South Korea, they've spent their whole lives in South Korea, but maybe they moved to um, a European country and gave up their South Korean passport. And so they're traveling on um, a European passport. And that's absolutely fine. Um, speaking English is absolutely no difference, you know, like whether you speak English or not. Speaking Korean, however, that does make the guides a little bit more nervous. Um, you know, they it's no problem if you speak Korean. Obviously, like I speak a little bit of Korean. It's absolutely no problem. But like they might just be a little bit more wary um, especially at first, you know, they, they're a very paranoid country and they're very paranoid about spies and stuff like that. But, you know, give them no reason to think you're a spy and they will not think that you're a spy at the end of the day. So it's absolutely fine. Wait, can, can I 
elaborate on that. Um, when you say that, if you speak Korean, there is a bit of, uh, I guess, hesitancy, hesitancy or apprehension. Mm-hmm. Is is it because you th- they think that they're a spy, or is it just because they they feel like they might say something in front of them? Like, why? Yeah, I'm just trying to understand why would being fluent in Korean make it make the guys more scared. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, And I think it's not so much with the tourists, you know, like if you're a tourist and you just go in and out once, you know, that I, it's been said to me that like, you know, it's best that I don't show off my Korean so much. And I think um, that is basically that, you know, they're probably more concerned with someone going in and out of the country a lot like me. Um, then you know picking up the language a lot then they may be concerned you know maybe I'm a spy and stuff it's not so good that I show that off um but with with tourists I think it's mainly just the oh you know okay we have to not say something dumb around them and whether that be like top secret North Korean regime secrets or whether that be like oh this tourist is annoying saying that in Uh Korean you know it's anything I, I don't mean I just mean anything. They have to be careful around you. But, you know, at the end of the day, actually, it's really, really beautiful seeing um, Koreans going over to North Korea and the guides end up being best friends with them. They always sit at the back of the bus, just chatting away in Korean, just having a good time. Um, And so you do see that um, joining of those two cultures. It's really nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is the uh, reaction of South Koreans when they go over? So I I want to tell a story. There's a really famous mountain in north korea uh changpek or something like that i'm i'm apologizing to any koreans there you go i don't know where i got the chung from but anyway that 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 mountain uh it's very famous because like a lot of the i guess spirituality comes from that and it was believed that um gods or something like came out of that and i I, from what i've heard kim jong-un or whatever has said that he was born around that in order to i guess take the mythos but uh basically there's a uh, there's a ritual that I've heard that some South Koreans take water from South Korea. They go to China, uh, which is basically, I guess it's physically joined to North Korea, and they will pour some South Korean water into the North Korean mountain lake, that area, in order to symbolize reunification. So hearing that, like there's obviously an emotional wound, and for anyone who's been to the DMZ, you will know there's like an emotional wound from being split how do South Koreans react? Uh, you said obviously they become good friends, but is there anything more in particular? Do they ever get like emotional at seeing like, I guess the other side? Yeah, I think they do. I, I'd never heard that story, so that's really interesting. And actually, Pekdusan is half in China, half in South Korea. Like you can, uh, sorry, half in North Korea. You can visit it from both sides. Seeing South Koreans in North Korea is really nice, and I think they do get emotional, especially if they they've had. Um, some kind of like family ties to it maybe you know deep in the past like their grandfather or something like that was in North Korea or maybe you know their their grandfather or um parents before that uh, spent like time living in areas in the North Korea because we have to remember that like it's not been separated for that long um and there are people still alive today that remember unified korea and they just happen to be on the different side of the border on the day when the line was drawn um and so mm. the you know do, people do get emotional um and i have to say like i haven't taken in hunt like loads of south koreans i've taken in you know a few because for south koreans they can't travel on their passports so there aren't that many Koreans that can go. It's only Koreans with different passports that can go. Um, so 
you know, whilst I have taken in a couple, it's not been that many, but it's, it's certainly, you definitely feel that it's, um, yeah, there's something else there than just the normal tourist. Mm -hmm. And there was this program in South Korea, I've, I've forgotten the name of it, but um, something about memories or lost, uh, something like that. But the premise of the program was uh, during, a, I guess, a warm uh, period of relationship between the North and the South, they would reconnect South and North members for a brief yeah. period of time. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Was that allowed to air in North Korea? I, this is before your time um, because this was decades ago. But do you know mm -hmm. if that was that symbol of reunification was allowed to be aired in North Korea? That's a good question. I don't know, but I don't see why it wouldn't have been. Um, yeah, it was it was permitted. Um, and they do still have like some kind of, um, you know, uh, where they they meet up family members from north and south like it's not just it wasn't just like for a show or something like that like they do it still does go on actually um but relations were a lot better like you know during the sunshine period and stuff like that um i think one thing that shocks most people in, when they hear about north korea is when i tell them that like the thing that they want the most is reunification you know, mm -hmm. for some reason, a lot of people think like that it's the South that's, that wants to be reunified and um, it's the friendly one. And then the North is this really hostile one that doesn't want reunification. And actually, like, it's not that it's the opposite way around, but like in South Korea, it's getting less and less pro reunification. Basically, as the society gets older, um, the people who remember Unified Korea are dying away. And then the younger generation just see North Korea as this nuisance. You know, it, it, economically, it would be bad. They'd have to pop up the country. And also, they see North Korea as a threat. And they, they don't see the North Koreans as their own people anymore. Um, but North Korea, you know, their, their biggest desire is to is to reunify. Um, and obviously, you know, it's it's on different terms than the, the you know, international stage might want. So that's where the the difficulty comes in. But generally, like, if you ask any North Korean, that's what they want. They want to reunify. Um, and I think um, that's really important to remember. So it's you, you'll see lots of aspects of reunification within the country. It, on the road that goes all the way down from Pyongyang to the DMZ to the JSA that we were talking about at the start of this episode, um, they have, like, I don't know if you've ever seen this image of the statue, they have two women wearing um the joguri like the korean dresses and they're joining hands together at the top um holding the um reunified like the korean peninsula um and that's the um arch of reunification so that was built there i think during the sunshine period um to basically celebrate reunification when it was looking very likely and so yeah, the, there's nothing wrong with showing reunification stuff. But to answer your question, I have no idea whether it was shown in North Korea, but I don't see why right. it might not have been. And when was the sunshine period? When did that occur? That's a very good question. And I wish I knew my history better. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in the 1980s. Decades? I think 19, it was in okay. the 1980s. Yeah, mm -hmm. but you might not. Um, if that's wrong, please don't quote me on it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, talking about the, the emotional wound from separation, this is something I, I saw when I was in Taiwan. Now, Taiwan's stance has changed, I guess, in the recent decades, um, especially since uh, Tsai Ing-wen came to office. But if you look at, uh, and I guess you can, maybe you can talk about this because you were actually in Taiwan, but if you look at a lot of like the roads or a lot of the names of like organizations or companies or just like places a lot of them say like Zhonghua Menzhu, which basically translates to like like the Chinese um, 
republic or the Chinese, uh, the people, or like, you know, the, the, like the, the government or the Republic of China, really. And um, yeah, now granted, you know, with the KMT, now I'm going to Chinese history, but with the mm-hmm. political party, the KMT, I guess, losing a lot of power, maybe that desire of reunification has actually separated. But I was like really surprised when I went to Taiwan that there were so many allusions towards like a unified China. Um, because I because basically what I've heard from the media, it was always like the mainland was the one who really wanted to reunify. And maybe that is the case now. But um, yeah, it was just kind of shocks me just walking around like these um, different places in Taiwan. And then you would see like allusions towards like, you know, the Chinese Republic or, you know, the KMT and blah, 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 and like a unified China. But once again, you know, just I guess just to check the boxes uh, that might be different nowadays. Yeah, that's a really interesting, um, interesting observation. And I, I don't know if it's so because you're right, like in in the past, there was a lot of it's not about reunification, actually. It's more about uh, not power or control. But, you know, for Thai, China and Taiwan, both governments see themselves as the legitimate ruler of China, right? Um, And so you have the ROC, which is Taiwan, Republic of China, and then you have the PRC, which is People's Republic of China, um, and that is mainland China. And it's less about the reunification, but more of the fact that uh, they don't see, neither of them see each other. I mean, it's the same in North and South Korea as well. Neither see them as the legitimate ruler of of China or of Korea. Um, And I think uh for taiwan and for china in the past it was definitely more about the control over that area and ruling right but then you're right um years later definitely the feel in taiwan is not about you know okay taiwan is the legitimate ruler of the whole of china it's it's definitely less about that um and more about okay you know we're taiwan um we just want to do our own thing um whereas mainland china they're probably more pro- provocative wanting to you know yeah reunify I suppose um can be the term that we use I don't know with the street signs and stuff whether it's um you know using the terminology like Zhonghua Minzu or stuff like that whether it's about you know a political statement or more left over from earlier periods or also just the fact the terminology used for example in ROC and PRC versus PRC and I think um yeah i don't know it's an interesting well i I think it's definitely a leftover um but yeah um from the kmt you know the chiang kai-shek period of time now once again we're getting into chinese history but like (laughs) um yeah i guess it just surprised me because um you know talk just talking about like the media a lot of times i hear like you know it's the mainland and i I would say that is true if the mainland is the one that wants to reunify Mm. so i was i guess shocked that when i went to taiwan with my preconceptions that I would still see remnants of this like leftover history of like, you know, Chiang Kai-shek basically saying, no, we are taking back the mainland, you know, give me 10 years, give me five years, I will take back the mainland and, uh, you know, be the rightful government. But um, Mm. yeah, let's get back to (laughs) North and South. There is um, another thing that often comes to people's minds when they think of North Korea. So there is, I guess, the politics. And apart from that, something else is the poverty. That's often an image of North Korea that's often pushed up a lot. And for North Korea, I I got these statistics online, so I can't really verify. But apparently the entire country, uh, their GDP is around 28.5 billion. Whilst, you know, if we compare it to South Korea, apparently it's like 1.8 
trillion, and this is both in US dollars. So mm. can I talk and ask you about the poverty in North Korea? Is it quite apparent? Like, is it apparent in the capital city, Pyongyang, or is it only apparent outside? Like, what are some examples, um, are there examples of poverty in that area? So I think, yeah, um, in you can see poverty all throughout North Korea, but also it's not all throughout the country. When I say that you can see it everywhere, that doesn't mean that it is everywhere, right? Um, I've been to countries that are way poorer than North Korea. So when we have this image of North Korea um, and, you know, poverty stricken, um, undernourished, stuff like that, it does exist, um, but it's not everything about North Korea. And also the... I've been to a lot of places that I've been a lot more upset in. You know, you have seen a lot. I've seen a lot worse, um, but you can't compare. Can you give an right. example of a country? Um, I mean, or like, is that too spicy? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I've traveled, you know, when you go around Southeast Asia, okay, I don't mm. want to give like a country or something like that. But like, if you go to a lot of places in Southeast Asia, you know, there's, it's not as if you see, um, it's, you know, there's, it's poorer, right? The, there are countries that are poorer than North Korea, I think is what I'm trying to say here. You know, they, they and where, where they put their money in is completely up to them. Um, but you see a lot of infrastructure and stuff like that in North Korea, like in, in Pyongyang. And, that you know, that's the same for any capital city that you see around the world, also in Southeast Asia. Um, and Southeast Asia is a massive place. Obviously, you've got like really... Um, rich countries there and stuff i'm always worried about who i'm going to offend now so mm-hmm. <laughs> um i'm not saying that southeast asia as a whole is very very poor mm-hmm. um but there are so pyongyang is the capital right uh in many other countries that's where all the money goes as well um you've got great infrastructure um in some respects awful in others um the transport system is incredibly cheap probably the cheapest in the world and you know it's it's great the roads can be a bit rocky um buildings are a bit crusty by now you know a lot of them were built uh some years ago and are now falling down a little bit but um in general it's a pretty good city, you know, and they're building stuff all the time. They managed to build this one entire road in one year. Um, I think it's um, it's Midei Street, Future Scientist Street. Um, and they built that whole road in one year. I think it was completed in 2019 or 2018. Um, and when I say the road, I don't just mean like the tarmac on the road. I mean like the block of flats, the houses, everything, like all done in one year. Um, and so... Uh, you get, and of course they have that big massive hotel and stuff. It was going to be the world's highest hotel back when it was supposed to be completed in the 1980s or 1990s. Obviously, Dubai has like kind of outrun that now a little bit, um, but um, and many other countries in the world actually have have outrun how tall it was supposed to be. I can't remember off the top of my head how tall it was going to be, um, but you know North Korea can't compete with that anymore. Um, so. There, there's a lot of construction going on and there is a lot of good infrastructure. Um, when you go out of Pyongyang, um, then you will see, like, it's more countryside, you know, the roads are rickety. Um, the guides call it a free massage when you're on your way down from Pyongyang to the DMZ because you do just sit there and it's a very, very bumpy ride. Um, and you might see people, like, for example, uh, ploughing and pulling oxes uh, to do the farming or um on the roadside waiting for a lift um 
maybe they look cold or you know stuff like this it's so hard to describe poverty and it's something that I think if you ask me this question about any country, I would also feel uncomfortable trying to describe it anyway. Um, and obviously in North Korea, it's a sensitive one. Um, so, you know, I've, I find it tricky, but I've seen people like um, in schools, maybe a girl without shoes on, um, you know, I've seen um, they have teeth falling out. Um, it's just, these aspects of poverty that you do see in other countries as well. One interesting aspect of poverty that you don't see that I do want to mention here is like, um, and it shocks me every single time um, when I go back to the UK and genuinely from living in China and living in and working in North Korea to kind of, you know, socialist countries, um, you really... I, I really get shocked every time I go back to uh, the UK and I see homeless people everywhere. Like, especially up in the north where I'm from, um, walking around the main city, you just see homeless people everywhere. And that really gets to me because, um, you know, you don't see that in um, in a lot of China and in North Korea, whether they're moved on or not, you know, is, is another thing. Um, but on the whole, generally, Everyone in North Korea has a house that's provided for them. Um, and whether the, the, the idea of the socialist system is that the government provides everything for you, right? And obviously, at a, for a time in North Korea, this really worked. For a time, North Korea's GDP was higher than South Korea's um, right at the start. So for a time, this did work. Obviously, now it's not working because the government, what the government provides is not enough. And this is where the issues you know, come, and this is where poverty comes from. But they do provide things like free education and free housing and stuff like that. And I think, like, when I talk about North Korea, it's so important that, um, you know, not everything is black and white. Um, there are good things. And when I say those words that are to do with North Korea, people then suddenly come at me. Um, and I think that's, that's the lack of understanding that we have um, from just listening to the media and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And talking about poverty, something that really surprised me when I was in Taiwan, and uh, once again, I guess you're in Taiwan, so maybe you, you can have a look and confirm what, you know, unconfirmed, but I was really shocked because Taiwan generally has a high GDP per capita compared to the mainland. Um, how many homeless people there were around, um, what's it called, Taipei, the, the, the main general uh, the main train station in particular i was like i was actually baffled by the mm. amount of um, poverty and you know no system is perfect so this just might be like a, a negative a bug in the you know, a capitalist system but um i can't confirm what the poverty rate is in what it's like in mainland i i would have just thought um taiwan there would be less just because the gdp per capita is higher but yeah that, that was something that shocked me um as well but yeah, yeah, and you know what, like talking about, you know, South Korea and maybe it's really easy to compare North and South because, you know, like there there is a political split and at the same time, they're both ethnically Korean. Um, there are also displays of like poverty in South Korea, which like shocked me as well. Like you see a lot of old people working in South Korea and, and but at the same time, I'm sure there are displays of, um, as you said, like, you know, the, the, the girl without the shoes or, you know, with teeth falling out or stuff like that. There, there yeah. are displays of poverty in both. And I think like looking at South Korea as well, it's important 
talking in terms of black and white, it's not as if like South Korea is the good Korea and North Korea is the bad Korea because and like that is the be all and end all. Like it's not black and white like that, you know, like in South South Korea has its own issues. And those issues are issues that come from the government that it's it's um, you know, that rules it. Um, in a lot of respects, um, you know, for example, high suicide rates and overworking and stuff like that. I think those things, um, you know, we can't look to South Korea and be like, okay, this is the perfect, this is what we need, you know, this is what North Korea needs to turn into. And it's so hard to criticize a country when you haven't got it right yourself. And that's how I I found, um, you know, being active and going in and out of North Korea, like, who am I coming from a British society that, you know, really doesn't have things right, especially now. I mean, British politics is crazy at the moment. I don't know how much you know mm-hmm. about it, but, um, you know, coming from that kind of government and where we have so many homeless, where we have so many people now that need to choose between having three meals a day or cutting one out and having the heating on instead during winter, um, you know, normal people. This is not people who have previously experienced poverty, but that's the point where we are up to at the moment in the UK. And I think, like, how can we then go into North Korea and be like, hey, by the way, you've got everything wrong because this is how we do it and it's better how we do it. You know, we have no right to do mm. that. Mm. Um, just a quick tidbit about the UK. I- I'm not sure if this is true. And, um, <laughs> like, if it is true, I-, I just think it was just so politically chaotic. But apparently there was talk that uh, Boris Johnson wants to, like, challenge the leadership again. I'm not sure if that's true, and uh, he wants to take on Rishi Sunak. Um, part of me is like, man, if that happens, is it would just be like, it would just be chaos. Like the the conservative yeah, no, government is just this chaos. Well, he he ran. He was he ran to be um our prime minister again like when when every I, I mean i can't keep tracks of of who is doing what at the moment but just before rishi sunak like came into presidency uh prime ministership whatever we call it in the uk came into office um like boris johnson was in the running but like he didn't get enough votes to like get through you know the stages like mm-hmm. there's several mm-hmm. stages so yeah he i mean yeah maybe he wants to be back let's see mm. <laughs> Um, I have another question about North Korea, and, and I think I would be um, uh, remiss to touch upon this. So um, I know that in your YouTube, you talk about like, this is a politically free zone, or as much as possible. So, you know, it's up to you whether you're able to answer this, whether you want to answer this. Um, something that you hear is that like, because of the political system in North Korea, there is censorship. Now, Granted, you know, let's not be black and white. There is censorship everywhere in the world. Um, But I guess it's particularly prevalent in North Korea. Do you ever feel like uh, what is described as a chilling effect? Uh, And what that means is like in North Korea, you just know there are certain things that you can or can't say. And there is almost like a chilling effect. That's how it's described in like the newspapers and stuff on freedom of expression or something like that. So are you, I guess, more sensitive like do you have heightened awareness in north korea because you know because you have this feeling that there are obvious yes and there's obvious no so do you get that feeling yeah definitely um and i think it's important to have that when you're in north korea to be honest because you there are certain things that you can talk about and there are certain things that you can't talk about um and i think um from a tourism perspective from a tourist um you know you need to be able to know 
what is going too far and you know I don't mean to say this to like scare people and stuff um generally it's absolutely fine to talk about anything but there are like certain topics and it's basically just politics and the personal lives of the leaders and religion they're basically the three main topics um that we say kind of not to get involved about a little bit like too much obviously you can ask about politics and the political system but if you're going to challenge it that's where the problem lies and I think um when so I censor I definitely censor my own speech when I'm in North Korea I also um get the feeling that a lot of the time I'm not getting the full story and also my social media I you know I self-censor that as well because I want to be able to get back into North Korea and so a lot of people ask me on North on social media hey why don't you show us the the prison camps and why don't you show us the poverty and stuff like that and I'm like well on the one hand like you say that me visiting North Korea is not ethical and I'm like well is it ethical to go there and film these prison camps and stuff like that and then on the other hand also I'm very blunt about this I'm like also I can't visit them and even if I could I wouldn't want to take pictures um for the ethical reasons and also for the fact that I want to go back to North Korea and you know if I start doing that kind of stuff then I'm not going to be able to also that's not the reason why I do all this stuff in the first place you know I'm not there to show all of that if if people want to see that stuff they can go elsewhere mm. um but yeah I don't know if that answers mm. your question on self on censorship but <laughs> um can I talk about the DMZ just switching topics and once again for mm. the audience uh just to refresh your memory the demilitarized zone that is uh, just a region between north and south where basically the military I guess is like kind of pulled back because they're uh, currently in a truce um have you been to the dmz from the south korean side friendly enough not no um i mm. uh, but i've heard of it it's a lot stricter i've been to some areas really? along the dmz um because it's not i mean it's it's a massive line all across the country right but i've never been to the jsa panmunjom um area mm. that everyone knows the blue huts and stuff like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah well can you talk about like how it's depicted in North in North Korea. So when you go to DMZ, and I'm sure as someone who went to the South Korean DMZ, it's depicted, I guess, in a more favorable South Korean light. And I'm sure the North Koreans do the exact same thing. Um, so in the South, there is a big emphasis on like the three or four tunnels. Apparently that was dug in order for the North Koreans, if the opportunity arises to come, soldiers I'm talking about, to come into South Korea. Like when you go to... North Korea, uh, the DMZ on the North Korean side, I'm assuming they don't emphasize that and they would emphasize like like a South Korean atrocity or something like that or something that paints themselves in a more positive light. Do you, I guess, what do they talk about in the North Korean DMZ? That's a very good question. Um, I think they, I mean, they, they show a lot of history in the North Korean DMZ area and the whole trip lasts for about lasts for about two or three hours um, and they do talk about the atrocities from the war um, you know and it's it's very um, it's probably more directed towards like anti-imperialist sentiments you know like the North Korea the Korean Peninsula was divided by foreign powers that you know in reality had no place in you know meddling in the business of the Korean Peninsula kind of thing I I suppose that's quite the narrative there um 
And when you go through, you go first to an area where, you know, they signed the armistice agreement um, and you can have a look around all of these like kind of museum-y kind of places. Um, and then you go to the the Blue Hood areas. And I think, um, yeah, a lot of the narrative is mainly about how they want reunification, but um, it's mainly the, the foreign powers preventing this from happening. Mm-hmm. Do they ever talk about like, I guess... Uh, South Korean in, in a negative light. Um, do they ever say like, oh, South Koreans are puppets or something like that? Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is in mm. South Korea, they there is an obvious point like to say, oh, look, the North Koreans tried to invade. Um, isn't that bad? Is there that equivalent in North Korea? Do they point at any tunnels that, I don't know, the South Korean built or something like that? That's a very good question, actually. Um, I, I, I'm sure that they do. I can't... It's. And I'm always so like busy doing other things than actually listening to what they're saying. Like usually I'm less of a tourist when I'm there. So I am like busy with answering other people's questions. Like if they have something or like talking to the guides and stuff, like if they have any issues. Um, So I sound really awful, but I'm like, I can't really like pinpoint exactly what they're, where they say and what they're taking to you now. Um, Also my memory is really bad, but I would say, any any of the um, like narratives on South Korea, a lot of it depends on um, the relations at the time as well. Um, so maybe I at the DMZ area, I think it's less about anti South Korea stuff. I have to say, um, whereas in other places they may have like maybe museums and stuff like that. Um, but generally, there is less anti-South Korea sentiment and more anti-American, anti-Japanese. Mm-hmm. Anti-imperialist, as they yes. would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Switching to a slightly different topic. Uh, this is a core memory I have from my year 10 economics <laughs> uh, teacher, who was a blonde teacher. And she said that, she told me something which like I, I was just amazed by, it, but she said that one time she was traveling around Cairo mm-hmm. and that, uh, because I guess blondes are not very common in Cairo. She talked about a proposal that she got on the street. Uh, just a random man came up to her and said, like, I love you. Do you want to be my wife? <laughs> um, has that ever happened or anything strange happened in North Korea because you do stand out? So first question, anything strange and any marriage proposals? So <laughs> And second question, um, anytime... And if you're able to speak about this, any time that you felt it was more dangerous, so like you were passing through an army garrison or something like that. So yeah, strange experiences and any time you felt dangerous or uncomfortable. Really good questions. I like these questions. No one ever asks me them before. Um, On the marriage proposals, um, so I used to live in Zimbabwe, actually. I spent like three months living there and on the streets of Zimbabwe. Wow, Zoe, you just picked the... <laughs> You just pick like <laughs> places that like the Westerners usually never go to. And you're like, oh, wait, Zimbabwe. All right. Tanzania. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I try and do. Um, yeah. So in the, on the streets of Zimbabwe, I um, I did pick up quite a few marriage proposals. I have to say, um, especially walking around by myself, it was genuinely quite difficult to walk down the street without being stopped if I was by myself. Like it, it was, you know, I genuinely, generally didn't do it. Um, in North Korea, however, no. And it's an interesting point because definitely no marriage proposals. And that's an interesting point in itself because um, the North Koreans, I get this question a weird amount of times, like, you know, any romances between the North Koreans and stuff like that. And I think um, 
it's really important to note that um so the North Koreans they're very proud people and they're proud of their strong bloodline of Korean bloodline right and I think in that respect um the any inter like any relations with foreigners and stuff is one on in terms of ethnically you know like really frowned upon and also in terms of like the Korean government the North Korean government it just wouldn't be permitted um there have been in the past like um there's I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of Joe Dresnok he is a um American who defected into North Korea Oh, I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually three of them. And anyway, he passed away um, kind of in recent years. Um, and he has like um, had a, a North Korean wife and then he has North Korean kids. Um, so, you know, this is does happen. And also um, Kenji Fujimoto. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was like the private chef to the Kim family, to Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il. Um, he has a restaurant in Pyongyang, which I've been to and I have a video on my YouTube. Um, he's also married uh, or has at least, yeah, he has uh, children with a North Korean woman. Uh, so that does happen, but I have yet to receive my marriage proposal. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> being blonde does attract a little bit of attention, but I would say that actually not so much in North Korea because a lot of the foreign tourists that come in, you know, maybe blonde or whatever. So I think when um, the main shock is them seeing tourists in general, not necessarily like, oh, you know, okay, this this blonde girl and stuff. Walking around Bangladesh, that was that was very interesting. Being blonde um, and trying to trying to blend in, and literally just every time I stopped to check my maps on my phone, like it, I would just have a crowd around me. Absolutely fine. They're absolutely a lovely. Crowd. Yeah, literally, okay. like, like Bangladesh was my favorite. Con- it's in my top favorite, con- top five favorite countries, um, to travel around. Absolutely amazing. Love Bangladesh. Um, never ever didn't feel safe, despite the fact that I would constantly have a crowd of people around me wanting to take <laughs> selfies. Um, but amazing country. But, um, it, and going on to the safe thing, um, there's been honestly no time that I've felt unsafe in North Korea. Um, and that's because you are on a guided tour. So there's never been a time where I've been like, oh, okay, like try and blend in here uh, because there is no blending in. You know, even South Koreans would find it hard to blend into North Korea in general, you know, just because of their demeanor and what they're wearing. Um, and I think, you know, you are on a guided tour, you're taken around. So there's been no place where I felt nervous, where I felt um, like I need to blend in. There have been a couple of times where... Um, I wish that I blended in more like for example those times when you do have a bit more freedom when you visit a mass dance um you know and these are like the really big ones like there was a mass dance I went to once in Kim Il-sung Square and there's like you know thousands of people dancing in the center and it would have been just really nice and you 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 know we say to people okay go have fun for half an hour just don't wander off too much everyone kind of knows the rules stick around um but also enjoy yourself and in those time periods, I wish that I blended in a little bit more and didn't attract too much attention um, or during New Year's and stuff when you're in a big crowd of Koreans. Um, it's just kind of you in there. But I feel like that in a lot of countries. So especially in Taiwan, you know, like people look at me and it's it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to blend in, but never felt Do you unsafe. ever scare them? 
do you ever scare them in Taiwan or Korea when you actually start speaking the language? Yeah, I think so. Because that's like, a power you, move. You you do catch people like talking about you, um, and then you start speaking. And like my Chinese, my Korean is not great. Um, like it's fine. I can get by. Um, it's kind of with struggles. But like my Chinese, I have to say, is like quite good, and it's also I, I have it's a kind of nice Taiwan accent I've managed to get now. So, and I also have tried to learn Taiwanese, the local language mm-hmm. here. Wow. Um, so I, yeah, so I do kind of um scare them a little bit, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. Can I ask? Have you watched the popular K drama? It's called Crash Landing, <gasps> Crash on, Landing you. on You. Of course. So <laughs> I was recommended this by a, uh, I guess a previous friend, and uh, she really suggested I, I watch it. I, you know, I guess to the audience, I admit guilt. I didn't finish it um, <gasps> because I just found the, I, you know what? I just found it. What's the right word? Like it was too clear to me. I thought it was too cliche. Like this, like incredibly handsome North Korean general or something soldier meets this like incredibly good looking South Korean <laughs> woman. And then he like defects immediately. He's like, no, that's it. That's I'm, I love her. And uh, to me, I'm just like, oh, this is just a little too cliche. You know, the power of love overwhelms everything, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, yeah, I, I will admit I did not finish it. I got up to episode six, I believe, and then I stopped. But, yeah, like, for, to what extent do you think that is, like, true or false? Because these are the popular preconceptions of North Korea. And whether or not, and I often say this, like, you know, whether or not that idea is true or it's not, the fact that it's commonly held means it has power. So when you compare it to things like crash landing on you, like, do you think that's super exaggerated? Do you think like, you know, like the depiction of like, you know, the, I don't know, the government or the society or something like that. Like, have you seen those? Um, I'm not sure if you remember, but like the guy lives in like a small village or something like that. Are, are the villages, do they look like that? Do the food look like that? Do people dress like that? Do people talk like that? How accurate is crash landing on you? So I, <laughs> it's a really good question um and i think if you found it like too cliche you probably just don't like south korean dramas in general i think right yeah like... i don't really i love the film films are great indie i love indie south korean music like i love that stuff i love the film but i i just can't get down with the dramas yeah no like so I would say I would say it's one of the more accessible ones for those that aren't used to South Korean dramas. It's actually not so crazy and dramatic. Um, so yeah, if your listeners do want to give it a go, it's it's very good. And because it is actually really accurate, um, I think that they did like um, chat to some defectors and stuff like that in order to um, you know provide an accurate. In- uh, insight into North Korean life so I have to say they did do a really good job of that and obviously there's some things that were a little bit off or some things that you know that are like that wouldn't happen um but in general they did a really good you know a really good depiction of it I think the houses where they live the little villages um very true um the one of the things that I could really relate to was the clam barbecue that they did so they got and they do it exactly like they do in North Korea as well like yeah, it's amazing. So um, we, when we go to one of the um, guests, like the hotels alongside um, the West Coast in a place called Nampo, um, we often do this thing called clam barbecue. Um, and basically um, you get like, there's a stone and they have these stones like on the floor at the hotel um, area. It's like a, a guest house area. Um, and they do this in crash landing on you as well. Um, they have this stone on the floor and then you line up the, cl- the clams all around in like a circle and like a spiral going in. 
And then actually we douse this then with like petrol and just set it on fire. Um, <laughs> and it turns into this petrol clam barbecue. And the petrol, it all burns off and um, you put the clams like upside down. So when they open, they open um, facing down. So like mm-hmm. one of the petrol has like gone inside them, right? Um, and so anyway, they should be nice and cooked. Um, and you, you know, you have them with some soju and, um, they do that in crash landing on you. I don't know if you managed to make it that far into that scene. I think it was quite early on, but, um, but yeah, so it's just little things like that, that really did remind me of, of North Korea. Mm. And, um, you know, talking about the power of media, like we rarely ever see, um, anything from North Korea. Actually, there is one North Korean song I've heard on YouTube um, I forgot the name of it, but uh, yeah, that's like literally the only sort of media input I have received from the North. Like how much of the outside world do North Koreans see? Is there quite a strong, I guess if you use Cold War language, like Iron Curtain around the country? Or yeah, like what extent do they know about China or do they know about like uh, Europe or England or something like that? So it depends which North Korean you're speaking to. The ones um, who have a better education, who've been to university, um, will know a lot. Like, and in general, like they are, they're super smart. It's so funny, like watching people try and tourists will try and like tell the North Koreans um, about their country and act like they're so naive and they're so dumb and that they know nothing. And then the North Koreans will come back with something like, "Ah, oh, yes, did that happen during this period?" And they, they they're so smart, especially. If, they've been to university, they have a, an amazing education system and they, they do know a lot of history, geography, stuff like that. What they don't know a lot on um, is, um, I would say, like modern uh, modern culture, technology, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it depends which North Koreans that you're talking about because the guides who have a lot of foreign interaction, um, you know, they know about Facebook, they know about Instagram. Everyone always comes into the country and is like, oh, like, have you seen this? You know, like, look, this is like this social media that we have. And, I can like this person's photo. <laughs> yeah. And the North Koreans are like, yeah, like, we know you have that. Uh-huh. Like, um, But I'm sure if you... Um, if you showed someone else like from the countryside, they'd probably be really confused. It's not as if mm-hmm. they would be suddenly enlightened, like, oh my God, thank you so much for showing me. Like, <laughs> you know, I think some people really think that they're like thank you, enlightening. <laughs> yeah. I think these people are, like a lot of tourists go in and they're like, okay, I'm gonna show them everything that I can. And I'm like, I don't think that they're like craving all of this like information all the time. And like sometimes they just mm-hmm. don't care. Um but they do have, you know, they don't get a lot of outside input, especially in terms of like, um, yeah, pop culture and stuff like that. You know, any news that they get is is probably like the important news um, th- in terms of football and stuff like that. That, you know, matches are put on live matches are put on like a few days later. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in a lot of aspects, they are um much more um they are much more closed off than people might think and in a lot of aspects they are a lot less closed off than you might think you know in general mm-hmm. like films and music and stuff is not permitted but that doesn't mean that like all foreign films and all music is not permitted um at university they watch the film titanic and um you know a lot of them when you go to visit the grand people study house they will probably put on the beatles in the music room and you can listen to the beatles standing in pyongyang and it's quite strange especially they for me watch <laughs> titanic yeah in north 
yeah that's, that's such a capitalist film like it's such like a hollywood blockbuster like like that's the thing i wouldn't expect would be allowed yeah and i think it's um i think that's part of the um the english lessons and stuff in the university so you know um they have harry potter in the library actually they have um really interestingly they started doing audiobooks and stuff like that um and they started they they can download these audiobooks on their phone i remember one of the guides telling me i might do a, like a little um a little story time on this on instagram because it was really cute one of the guides like we were talking about harry potter as we were walking through the library and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, would you recommend it? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great series. Like, everyone loves it in the UK, at least. Um, and then um, and then so he, he went off for a few minutes and he came back and he's like, um, he's like, oh, I got the audio book on my phone. And I'm like, oh, amazing. Mm. And he was like, yeah, it's um, it's Harry Potter and the, the Prisoner of Azkaban. And I was like, you got the third one? Like, <laughs> did you read the first one or the second one first? Yeah, and he was yeah, like, yeah. there's multiple? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So it's like, that's so innocent and that's so cute. Um, So to wrap up this uh, podcast, I've got a, I guess, a true or false uh, section. So I went online and I found some information and some of this could be true. Some of this could be false. I'm asking, I I guess at this point, purely out of my own curiosity, because I'm just mm -hmm. so curious about like these different uh, cultures, places I've never been to. So I'll say, you know, I'll ask you the question and then you Mm -hmm. can say true or false. And if you want to elaborate on it, feel free and if you don't want to elaborate on it that's cool as well okay so first question i uh first true or false question is in crash landing on you um and this one wasn't from the internet this is really from my own memory um there's a scene when the i don't know his name the handsome guy like the general guy that like Mm -hmm. you know big and tall and whatever his name is he um drives a car to the pyongyang and like because he has like special license plate he's given like the ability to drive through red lights or something like that. He's just like, wow, this is the car of a XYZ important person because it has like certain numbers or certain numerals on the license plate. Is that true? I don't know to the extent of like what you can do with certain license plates, but it's definitely true that your license plates determines how important you are or what it it also shows you what kind of car you are are you a private car are you a car for an ngo are you um a government car are you a military car stuff like that um mm-hmm. one of the most important plates that you'll find is the numbers and those are in colors okay and i can't mm-hmm. remember the colors off the top of my head so i won't go over them now one of the most important plates in terms of numbers if you is, is if you have a 727 727 is an important number in North Korea because the 27th of the 7th is Liberation Day in North Korea. So you'll see a lot of things. Their most expensive cigarettes are called 727s. Um, And yeah, if you have a car with a license plate on 727, then you're an important person. But I'm sure Mm -hmm. that there are also more important ones. I don't know what power it gives you, but for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess that's true. Um, Second thing that I've... Now, everything else will be plugged off the internet. Uh, apparently there's only a certain number of haircuts that are allowed uh if you're a male or female so like for example you might not be allowed to get a buzz cut or you might not be allowed to get a mohawk or something like that is that true um or is that just like a cultural expectation that you you know you don't deviate but it's not politically enforced so yeah have you heard about the haircut enforcement rules yes and i would say that's false um, because it is more of like a cultural expectation thing. You're not you're expected to not dye your hair crazy colours and stuff like that. And so but 
I think this stems from like people seeing um, those pictures up in hairdressers of like example hairstyles and stuff. And I think like people are like, oh my God, they can only get these haircuts. And I'm like, when you go to any hairdressers, Mm -hmm. what do you see all around you? Example haircuts. That's literally Mm -hmm. just what that is. (laughs) So have you seen anyone with like, dreadlocks or something north korean like what's the craziest haircut you've seen north korean rock there wouldn't be there wouldn't be um it is a very um it the society has a lot of rules and whilst i say like there's no rules on the haircut there there are cultural expectations so you know Mm. if your haircut was too crazy you would be stopped by the fashion police um that's not their official title uh you would be Mm. stopped by them and probably told like hey maybe do your hair differently next time what is that an actual like it might not be called fashion police or is that just like grandmas walking around like hey you look like an idiot or is that like an actual position there are actual people yeah okay okay next one uh this i'm not sure if you can really testify to this because it involves like statistics but it says that only three percent of roads are paved in north korea do you think that's like reasonable or do you think that's like, you know, a little too high, a little too low? What do you think about that number? That's so tricky to know because uh, you mean paved like not tarmac or paved like so they have a pavement next to them? No, as in like uh, paved for cars to drive on. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think that number is now, once again, this is all guesswork at this yeah. point because you don't have the, the ministry numbers, but do you think that's a like a, because I think you've been to like the rural areas of North Korea. I like, have. Is it generally unpaved? Is it generally dirt roads? Like but what are the roads like? The problem is, is the roads that I'm traveling on are all paved because I'm traveling mm. in a bus. So, <laughs> so like I would say, as you know, it would be the opposite. Like all of the roads that I've seen in North Korea have been paved. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, looking out the window, maybe you see some roads that are unpaved, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So on my knowledge, I would have to say like, no, that's not true. This is something else I found on the internet, which I which I was, uh, I guess, somewhat shocked by, but apparently blue jeans are not allowed because they're too American centric. Is that true? Yes, I would say generally um, they're not, yeah. Yeah, they're not allowed. You would never see North Koreans wearing jeans. Um, yeah. Not allowed or not socially acceptable? I think it's not socially acceptable to the point at which it's not allowed. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a rule written in their, you know, written in uh-huh. their laws. But, like, I think that you would be told to not wear them if you were wearing them. Okay. And it so would also it's like be... walking... It so be... it's like walking around naked in like Taiwan or something. It's like, yeah, like, it's like, it... don't do it. It's so culturally offensive or something. Don't do that. Yeah. And it would be like, where did you get those from? Like, obviously you've got like some kind of channel for foreign imports and stuff like that. It's just uh-huh. not something that you want to draw your attention to like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that would be true. Now, yes. uh, the other thing I found on the internet was mm-hmm. that earrings, similar to blue jeans, they're too American centric, Western centric, um, are they allowed? Do you see America? Sorry, do you see North Koreans with earrings? I think so. Yeah, um, and also um, things like that are coming in much more. So, for example, plastic surgery, dyeing your hair, 
Um, Plastic surgery in North Korea. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh no, South Korea! <laughs> South Korea is winning the cultural war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not a big thing, um, but it uh-huh. is coming into the into the country. Um, these things where you know women like to like to express themselves in these ways, and I think whilst they're not dyeing their hair crazy colors, maybe they're dyeing it like a little bit lighter brown or like anything that mm-hmm. they can get away with that doesn't look like their mm-hmm. hair is dyed. Mm-hmm. Um, plastic surgery, the same. The most common one is the eyelid thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so to the earring. Uh, to the earring one, I, I would say that's a false. Yeah, that's false. I think so. I can't. Yeah. I can't Have you ever imagine... seen men? No. Have no, you ever no. seen men with earrings no, or just no. women? No, just women. And tattoos—they're only culturally accepted, like in terms of like the army. So you'll see like some guys with like tattoos, and I'm not talking about like elaborate tattoos. I'm talking about like maybe something on their hand. I don't know, some mm-hmm. dumb star mm-hmm. or something. this is something i saw on on the internet a few months ago and i was like wow is this true or is this not true i guess i can ask you but apparently the term i hope i'm saying this right oppa oppa is like basically an affectionate term Mm -hmm. a term in south korea for like a romantic partner like an older male or something like that um apparently the north korean uh, government didn't like the South, uh, sorry, the, their citizens using that term because it meant they were exposed to like, you know, crash landing on you or like other South Korean dramas. Is that true? That has been a, I guess, either a hard crackdown or soft crackdown on that word as a term of affection compared to like, I don't know, comrade or something like that. I'm not really sure what they would say. Is that yeah, true? They, they call people Dongji and Dongmu in um, in North Korea. And that translates to comrade, either someone higher up than you or someone, high, uh, someone lower than you. Um, Would you call your romantic partner that term, or like I don't know? Is there like no, no? It's more of like a, it's more of like a Mister, you know, like it's mm-hmm. it's a a term of respect. So it's very different to Opa in that respect. But also, I feel like in um in South Korea, it's not just your romantic partner that you can call Opa. I mm-hmm. is it like it's? I thought it was more of like a. It sounds kind of cute. Maybe maybe it is just a romantic <laughs> partner thing, but um. Yeah, in North Korea, no one says that. It sounds uh, very, um, it sounds very too personal. Um, and I think in the North Korean language in general, um, compared to the South Korean language, um, it's very um, indirect. So in mm. North Korea, they use a lot more polite form when mm. South Korea would not. Um, the North Korean, so I do know that um, in North Korea, you have to watch, if you watch a lot of South Korean dramas and then obviously start getting this vocabulary into your um into your system then you do have to watch what you're saying because people can pick up on it and people can know okay maybe you're watching south korean dramas um and then that Mm -hmm. can become a bit of an issue um whether it's exactly the word opa or just other south koreanisms um i can't say but yeah i guess i would say kind of true then Mm -hmm. but have you ever heard of like a that's like a general like don't use south korean terms have Mm -hmm. you ever heard of any uh, rule or any expectation to not use that word opa in particular no okay okay uh but generally there is like you know don't use south korean terms because that may mean you have a channel to south korea yeah. and i've joked around with the north koreans saying the word opa you know like um we'll joke around and say like oh are you gonna call him opa and stuff like that like it's mm-hmm. not as if it's completely banned in the society it's just not a mm-hmm. cultural thing that they would use i mm-hmm. guess mm-hmm. um other piece of information i got on got on the internet is that there are three and only three television channels in north korea is that true or untrue 
that's untrue. Um, I did have a list of all of the channels that they had because I think they started having new channels. Um, but they do have, um, I think they started to have new channels um, in the past few years. It may have been true at one point. And I think that's where a lot of these myths come from, is that at one point they were true. Um, you know, for example, at one point you weren't allowed to bring in your phone um, and you are now. Um, so at one point it was true. They have more channels now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess currently untrue for the three channel belief. Um, is the calendar in North Korea based on Kim Il-sung? So whilst like in the West, it would be based on the Gregorian calendar. Um, is it based on like, I heard that, once again, I'm not sure if this is true, but like the the North Korean calendar would be like, oh, this is when he was born. And then like ever since then, it's like plus one, plus one, plus one. Is that mm -hmm. true? Um, yes, it's true uh, to the extent that also, for example, Japan does this um, in terms of their uh, their emperor, right? Um, they have mm -hmm. two mm -hmm. year That's systems um, and also Taiwan as well. Taiwan does this. Um, Taiwan, yeah. really? With, yeah. with oh, since the... Um, uh, so Sanya, we're on year 112 now. Yes, that I yeah. actually saw that when I was in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, that's since the founding of the Republic of China. Is that exactly? Correct? Yeah, uh -huh. um, and so that's the same for North Korea. Um, they use it in the same kind of context. Like they have it there, um, and some of the things will be written in that year. But they also all know the Gregorian calendar. You know, this year's 2023 kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a that's really good context because when I first saw that, I'm like, wow, like the calendar system is based on, you know, the Kim family. But then you're like, oh, Taiwan does that as well. I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, good context. Exactly. Um, uh, I'm not sure if this is true. I'm not sure if you're actually able to answer this, but uh, I've read on the internet that there are elections held in North Korea, except it's just a piece of paper with a single, I guess, option. Is that true? You probably haven't been around for one of those elections, if, if that is even true in the first place. But yeah, is, is that true? Is that false? Are you able to speak about that? That's false because they do have different parties in North Korea. Um, so okay. there will be options for different parties, um, but whether people can actually select these parties or actually ever do, um, or the legitimacy of these elections is something you know that I'll leave to the listener's imagination. Um, but it's mm. not true that it's just one um you know one selection on the paper because there are actually different active parties in north korea mm -hmm. uh the next one i read on the internet is that the power cuts occur quite frequently in order to save electricity so maybe after seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night power gets cut is that true or not true um, in some places, um, the power will go out of an evening, especially in the countryside areas. In Pyongyang, it generally stays on um, all night, but you will have power outages, especially in the winter. Sometimes you'll have power outages. Yeah. Mm. But that's not government mandate. That's just like we ran out of electricity, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one. Um, this Once again, this might be similar to the uh, television uh, question I had previously about uh, whether or not this is dated or whether or not this is current, but only 28 websites are available and accessible in North Korea. I have no idea about that one because <laughs> um, I don't know what websites are available to access in North Korea because, um, and also do you mean foreign websites or North Korean websites? Because actually North Korea has an intranet. It has an internal web system, which means that they can't access any foreign outlets. So I suppose you mean North Korean websites. Um, I guess so. 
Yeah, and from that, I don't know how many there are, but they are yeah. only available to access um, North Korean websites because that's how mm-hmm. the intranet, internal internet works. Mm-hmm. So I guess with the 28 website, uh, not really sure. Like there is an intranet, but like it could be 55, it could be one, it could be, you know, yeah. any number. Exactly. Is cannabis... Now, I'm not sure if this is true or not. I got this all from the internet. Is it legal? It said it was legal in North Korea. It's not. Um, I don't know the okay. exact rules that it says on it. Um, I guess this comes from the fact that it grows in some of the locations, like hemp. You can buy hemp. Mm-hmm. Hemp is legal. Um, mm-hmm. Cannabis. I don't It's the, I don't know the laws on it, but it's not legal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So thank you for clearing that up. That was really interesting to like get this information off the internet and then actually compare it and throw it to someone who's actually been in the country. So can I ask, what is next for you? And, you know, you can plug your YouTube, you can plug whatever you want. Like, like, do you plan to, you said you plan to work, keep working for the North Korean um, tourism sector. So like, do you plan to stay in Taiwan until then? Like, what is the future? What does it consist of for, for yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, no, my plan in general at the moment is, so basically I am um, in Taiwan to do my PhD, so I'll be here for the next three or four years. But during that time, I do hope that North Korea opens up for tourism and I will definitely be going back there. So um, until then, all I can do is continue to produce content. Um, I've been behind on YouTube videos, but I still do try and um, do them once a week. So I will have some more Taiwan content coming out next week. Um, but hope to also um, throw in some North Korea stuff too. Um, I'm keeping up with like doing things on TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that. And then I've also just started um, my new podcast. So I don't know if your listeners um, want to try out something new as well, but you can head over to the podcast at Zoe. Dis- um, oh, it's not. It's Discover North Korea. Everything else is Zoe Discovers. Um, but Discover North Korea is my podcast. Um, and I'll hopefully keep that up. I'm enjoying it at the moment. But yeah, my plan is to go back working in North Korea once it opens from COVID. Um, yeah, hopefully end of this year, next year, who knows? Thank you for, you know, like clearing up a lot of the, uh, you know, confirming and clearing up some of the ideas we from the outside have. But yeah, it was really informative and uh, yeah, good luck and catch you soon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and other places that can be found in the description.